Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Great passage of Scripture. Lord willing, we'll be done with Zechariah chapter 3. And next time we're together, Pastor Nathan will be preaching next Sunday. Next time we're together, we'll be in Zechariah chapter 4. All right, Zechariah 3 verse 10. In that day, now does that give us any kind of uh, time frame? Yes, in that day saith the Lord of hosts. Now, saith the Lord of hosts, does that give us any information? Yes. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. How many of you are already blessed by that passage? All right, let's see if we can learn some things from it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we love it. And I'm so excited to communicate what this verse teaches today. Father, we need your peace. More than anything in the world, we need your salvation, we need your peace, we need your help. Lord, help us to bring glory to you through this message. And Lord, I pray that this passage of Scripture is an encouragement to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. What this passage is about is peace. It's about world peace. Just like a beauty pageant, we all want world peace. Right? We want world peace. So... You said, Pastor Jim, how does this have to do with world peace? Well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll get there. It's interesting when you look around the globe, if you look at China, we're in a trade war with China. But not only that, we're in an intellectual property war with China. Through industrial espionage, they're trying to steal all of our secrets. And for companies that want to build things in China, what they do is they require you to give them the technology. So you're under contract with them for a couple of years, and then they kick you out and can you continue building it with United States technology. That's, that's the kind of war that we're in there. Man, I sure hope it never becomes a shooting war with China. Right? We don't want that. All over the world, whether it's Al-Shabaab, these Islamic groups, if it's in Africa, the Islamic groups attacking people in Africa, all of those things that are going on, there is war all over the world. There are still 30,000 uh, ISIS soldiers in Iraq and in Syria. 30,000. They're still fighting. They're still fighting. There is battle, there's trouble all over the world, whether it's North Korea or whether it's Cuba, whether it's, it's Iraq or Syria or Iran, all of those areas. What about Russia? All the things that are going on with Russia. Now, one of the things about Russia that we need to remember is I think their economy is smaller than the economy of California. So they're not really our biggest foe. China is... But Russia likes to cause trouble everywhere they can. That's going on. We live in a world that needs peace. It needs peace. Why is it that we're seeing people killed all over the world in the name of religion? We see people killed in the name of, of political power. That's going on because the world needs peace. But there cannot be peace until the Prince of Peace is sitting on his throne. That's what this text is about. It is about how are we going to have world peace. So let's start verse 10. All right, ready? In that day, in that day. I want you to see this. Keep your place in Zechariah, of course. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. How many of you could use a little bit of peace in your life right now? Well, your kids just went back to school. That ought to be some of it. Acts chapter 3. All right, look at verse 19. 
Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be... What is that next? What are those next three words? Be blotted out. You know, God doesn't cover your sin. He blots it out. It's gone. He washes it away. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ is coming to be present and there's going to be a time of refreshing. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. So Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Look at chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right, so Jesus has been taken into heaven until when? Until the times of refreshing, the times of restitution. All right, so chapter 3 again, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Whom, Jesus Christ, whom the heaven must receive until, you see the time word there? Until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of how many of His holy prophets? All His holy prophets. For how long? Since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. All right? He came into his own, and his own received him not. What happened to those that didn't receive him? They're destroyed. There's only one way to have eternal life. There's only one way to have peace with God. That is through Jesus Christ. That's the prophet, Jesus Christ. All right? Verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, like, uh, have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in, thy, and, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Now, how many of you think the Jews enjoyed that message? Chapter 4, verse 1, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. So what, they, what did they do? They put him in prison for preaching that. But what were they preaching? That they're preaching the same thing that all the holy prophets had preached. That one of these days, the Messiah is going to come and rule and reign on this earth and receive the glory that he deserves. And if you believe that, you'll be saved. If you don't believe that, you'll be destroyed. That is the message. All the holy prophets prophesied about that day. Go back to Zechariah with me. So remember what's happening in Zechariah chapter 3 we have the entire story from the rebuilding of the temple until the, Jesus Christ establishing His kingdom on this earth. That entire time frame is covered in Zechariah chapter 3. 
Now, verse 10 again, "...in that day saith the Lord of hosts." So Jesus Christ in that day is going to be sitting on His throne in Jerusalem. And that throne is from that throne He will rule the world. Okay, so that day, that's the context of it. Now look who's speaking. It says, "...saith the Lord of hosts." Now remember what the Lord of hosts is. That term, the Lord of hosts, is used in Zechariah 53 times. And it is a host or an army, or it's a host, an army, or a mass of people organized for war. When it says Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts, He is leading an army that's organized for war. What is it that's going to bring peace on this earth? It's an army of one that leads us in battle, that leads the angels in battle. And of course, we will be a part of that army, and we're not going to look at that today. So we don't need to trust in military might or numerical strength. It doesn't matter how strong the United States is. That's not going to help Israel in that day. What's going to help Israel in that day is the Lord of hosts coming to establish His kingdom and bless His people, Israel. So when you look back at our text, "...in that day saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, then it says, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Every man his neighbor. You know that this concept of the brotherhood of man, this idea of everyone being our neighbor and that we're citizens of the world, that is what the world is seeking, isn't it? Keep your place here. Go to Genesis chapter 11. There was a time on the earth... When we had what everyone wants. Genesis chapter 11, look at verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Now, if you don't have that plain in the land of Shinar marked, that is one of the most significant locations in your Bible. That is where Babylon is. Remember, your Bible is a tale of two cities. It's the city of Jerusalem, mentioned 300 times, the city of God. And the city of Babylon, the city of Satan, is mentioned 280 times. And that is built in the plain of Shinar. This is where Daniel's image was set up, and they had to come and worship it. This is this the plain of Shinar. This is where, where Saddam Hussein was trying to build Babylon. Again, it's that same spot, that exact location. This is where the Tower of Babel was. All right? So the plain of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Verse 3. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Do you see what's happening in the world now? Everyone's trying to be gathered together into cities again. Small communities are dying and they're trying to bring us all back into large cities. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Whatever the mind of man can conceive, the mind of man can achieve. Let's all just come together. The great gospel singers, the Beatles, remember that? Come together right now. If we all just come together, we can accomplish anything in the world that we want to accomplish. You know, the Bible says that's true. The problem is the things that we want to accomplish will do nothing but bring destruction and misery and evil and horror. 
So what did God do? Verse 7, go to, let us, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us go down there, let's go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. They stopped building it. They left off from building it. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And it goes on to describe Ham, Shem, and Japheth and where they went in the world. But what's happening here is you have a, a global system where everyone is every man's neighbor. And what does God say? That this is a bad thing because men will only do evil. And so what did God do? God established people groups and God established languages and God established cultures. Why did He establish those cultures? Why did He divide us over the face of the whole earth? Why did He confound our language and establish boundaries and establish national sovereignty, the sovereignty of each nation? Why did God do that? Look at Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is in Athens, the capital city of culture and art and literature at that time in the world. And he goes up to see where their idols are on Mars Hill, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, what are these devotions? They are their idols. I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. What is he saying? You know all these gods. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. What I love is the Apostle Paul started where they are and started preaching Jesus. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to find people where they are, and wherever they are, from that point, we start preaching Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. So what does he say? Verse 24, God that made the world. So what's the difference between all of their gods and the one true God? Our God made the world. Right? It's not a turtle. You know, whatever from Hinduism. All right? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. You know, we're not building a temple. You know, the old story is the deacon got, went to the preacher and he was mad because he said, Hey, preacher... The kids are chewing gum in the sanctuary. And the preacher looked at him and said, No, the sanctuaries are chewing gum in the auditorium. Right? If you're saved, you're a sanctuary. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Is that right? We are the temple of God. We're not building a temple. We are the temple. All right. So now, look at what it says. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, verse 25, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. How can he do that? Because he's the creator and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know, there are people that never leave their own little town. They live their whole life in that little town. God ordained the bounds of their habitation. Why would God do that to somebody? Look at what it says. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from who? Every one of us. 
It's really important that we understand this, that when God confounded the languages and confounded the cultures and sent people all over the world, He did that not so that they could not find Him. He did that so that they could find Him. Don't we have a great, wonderful, merciful God? Sometimes people ask this question, what about those who have never heard? Well, God put them where they are so that they can hear, so that they can find Him. And then it's our job to go and tell them. All right, so you say, Pastor, okay, that's all great. What does that have to do with this brotherhood of man? Go to the neighbor. Go back to, to um, Zechariah chapter 3. And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, verse 10 again, shall you call every man his neighbor? Well, every man's not your neighbor right now. Every man's not your neighbor. This, this concept of the fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man, that's a liberal concept. So remember what happened in the late 1800s. You have this German liberal theology. And there was a man named uh, Adolf von Harnack. Guess where he was from? I, Ireland. No, <laughs> Germany. Adolf von Harnack. He was a theologian and historian as a part of this German liberal theology, and he wrote a book called What is Christianity? In that book, he this is where this concept of the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man came from. That book rejected the deity of Christ. So when I say he rejected the deity of Christ, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. How many of you believe Jesus is God? Yeah, good old Adolf was wrong. Okay? Have you noticed people don't name their kids that anymore? I, don't, I wonder why. So he wrote this book, and it really did influence all of Christianity, the fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. Do you know that God is not everybody's father? He's everyone's creator. But He becomes your father when you become His son. What does the Bible say about that? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. God becomes your father when you believe in Him. When He becomes your Savior, when Jesus becomes your Savior, God the Father becomes your Father. That's, that's that doctrine of adoption. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit tonight from Romans chapter 9. But it's really important that we understand that this concept of the, the universal fatherhood of God and universal brotherhood of man is completely ridiculous. Everybody in the world is not your brother. Who's your brother? A person that's saved. They're your brother in Christ. They're either your brother nationally, so the Apostle Paul and Romans chapter 9 talks about his, his kinsmen after the flesh. Those are the other Jews. That's what he's talking about there. Spiritually, we're all brothers when we become, when we're saved. Now, why doesn't it say sisters? Because the son is the one that has the inheritance. So, ladies, you're my brother from another mother. It's really a neat thing that's not... When the Bible uses that terminology, it's not being sexist. What it's saying is that we're all equal in the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? I love it that as a man, I don't have any more from Christ than Laura as a woman has. That we're equal in the sight of God. As a matter of fact, in heaven, we're neither going to marry nor be given in marriage. We're going to be like the angels, the Bible says. We're all sons of God. It doesn't say sons and daughters. And then there are so many preachers who try to make the Bible palatable or they try to speak to the culture by adding in the word daughters or adding in the word sisters. What they're doing is they're actually teaching something that the Bible doesn't teach. How many of you are thankful that we're all equal in the sight of God? 
That doesn't mean that women are less. But when the Bible was written, when that, those words were using, using, <laughs> when those words were used, they were, that, that meant that that son, that oldest son, got the inheritance. And the Bible says that we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, God's one and only begotten son. So that universal uh, fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man that everyone wants, do you know when that's actually going to happen? When Jesus Christ is sitting on His throne. In that day, after the Lord of hosts conquers the enemies, then we're all going to be brothers in Jesus Christ. That's going to happen. You know, we have a world where people desire this. And one of the problems that we have in the world right now is people want to balk against reality. You know, a guy saying that he's a girl, a girl saying that he's a guy. You know, just, just insanity, okay? So let me give you an example. There was this couple, and uh, they're not married, but they were living together, and they, they you know, good liberals in Washington, D.C., working for the government, and they got tired of their government jobs, so they sold everything they had. They quit their jobs. They bought bicycles and flew to Africa to ride their bicycles around the world. Now, there are lots of places where I would enjoy riding a bicycle. There are many places that would be very foolish to ride a bicycle. But when your worldview is this, he said this, you read the papers and you're led to believe that the world is a big, scary place. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept. We're invited to, we're in, uh, I'm sorry. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different from our own. So we invented the concept of evil to explain people that are different from us. We call that the youth group. <laughs> Let me go on. This is what he says. By and large, humans are kind, Self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind, generous, wonderful, and kind. No greater revelation has come from our journey than this. Last week in Tajikistan, five members of ISIS ran them and two other cyclists over with their cars and then stabbed them to death. See, man... I would like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. That would be great. Do you know when that's going to happen? When Jesus Christ sits on His throne. See, right now we can wish for this concept that evil is a human construct. Evil is not a human construct. Evil exists. And there are evil people in the world. As a matter of fact, all of them. Now, are some people more kind than others? Absolutely. Are there a lot of kind people in the world? How many of you have ever heard this? Good overcomes evil. Have you ever heard that? You ever heard that? Um, it's interesting. This couple ran into a lot more kind people than they did evil people. Did the kind people save their lives? No. No. Evil exists. Should we be kind rather than evil? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Kindness is a biblical command and a biblical Christ-like virtue. There's no doubt about it. We are to be kind. But the world is not a kind place. 
The world is an evil and a wicked place. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. Who hath believed our report? That's what the Bible says about the nature of the world. What happened to this couple? They had wonderful ideas, but their wonderful ideas were confronted with the harsh reality that evil is not a man-made construct. Evil exists in the world. And now they're dead. And because they didn't know apparently who Jesus Christ was, now they're going to find out what true evil is. Evil is the absence of good. And every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. The Bible makes it very clear that good is the presence of God. Evil is the absence of God. By receiving Jesus Christ, you receive good. By rejecting Jesus Christ, you reject good. God sends no one to hell. They choose the absence of God and good by their rejection of God. Now, i got to tell you, I hope these people were saved. There's nothing in the New York Times report about where they were religiously. I hope they were born again and just had some bad ideas about who people are. I hope, because if they're not, then they've entered into a Christless eternity. And that's a horrible place to be. When is this concept of the brotherhood, every man my neighbor, when is it going to take place? When God removes the evil from the earth, then we can live in peace. Then peace will come. Every man his neighbor. Um, You know, our culture hates to hear this, preferring to believe in a God who disregards sin and who makes no demands. If you serve the only true God, then stand firm against those who say all roads lead to heaven because they do not. Those folks' road led to Tajikistan. Every man his neighbor. So when is this peace going to come? Well, we all know. Remember the passage in Isaiah 9, 6? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Remember, the child was born, his physical body. The son was given because he already existed. Right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then what's his last title? The Prince of Peace. Remember, the world wants peace, but they don't want the Prince of Peace. Remember the, the, the verse that's on the wall of the United Nations building. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 2. How's the United Nations doing in bringing world peace? Verse 4. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the Messiah. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. You know, of course, that part's not on the wall. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, you have to be trained to make war. How many of you guys were in the military? Was there any training involved? Yeah, training. You, you were in the military. There's the war college where you go to learn how to make war. There's going to come a time when we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus Christ is going to be our protector. Jesus Christ is going to be the one leading and bringing peace to the earth. Um, the final fulfillment of this will take place in that day. That's the day that Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign on this earth and bring peace. All right, go back with me to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. 
In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So that under the vine and under the fig tree, that is when there is world peace. That is when there is peace for God's people. And I know sometimes people think, come on, pastor, you're always telling us what these passages mean, what these phrases mean. Under the vine and under the fig tree, what in the world does that have to do with peace? Well, let's look at the Bible and see what it has to say about it. First Kings chapter 4. First Kings chapter 4. So Solomon has become king. Solomon was the son of who? David, King David. All right, so 1 Kings chapter 4, look at verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Dwelling safely, dwelling in peace, that is under the vine and under the fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Now the name Solomon, that means peace, shalom, Solomon. Jerusalem. That is Shalom. That is the city of peace. And the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, how is that going right now? Not great. Jerusalem's been destroyed 35 times. 35 times. I think Washington was burned once in history. Is that right? One time? And I think it was the Canadians that did it. Is that right? The British. Okay, close. (laughs) Build a wall. Um... Look with me at Micah chapter 4. Under the vine and under the fig tree. So just a little bit before Zechariah. Micah chapter 4. This is one of those passages, and we've read it in this study, portions of it. We're going to read a little bit more of it today. That has so many of those phrases that if you don't understand them, you can't understand your Bible. But when you do understand them, it's like a light comes on. And this will happen for for all of us, I believe, as we read this today. Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. But in the last days, does that give us any time frame? Yeah. But in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. So here's what's going to happen. The, the other mountains are going to be brought low in the world. And Mount Zion, some of you have been to Mount Zion. It's not really that high. It shall be the highest place in the world. And that's where the throne of God is going to be. All right, verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hold your place here. Go back to Zechariah. Chapter 3, verse 6. So this is God the Father speaking to the high priest, the people representing the people. Verse 6, Zechariah 3 and verse 6. And the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my... What's it say? And wilt keep my charge, 
then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Okay, so going to walk in his ways, going to keep his charge, keep his house, judge all of those things. Okay, back to, back to Micah chapter 4, verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go... I'm sorry, Micah chapter 4, verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways. Isn't it wonderful we won't need a high priest anymore? Jesus Christ is going to be the high priest. Now, He is our high priest, but Israel will not need the high priest. And He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths... For the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. Oh, look what's going to happen. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What's that? That's peace. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. Why? For the mouth of the meek and humble and lowly Jesus hath spoken it. No, the mouth of the Lord of hosts. What is it that is going to bring peace to the, to the earth? Jesus Christ, the judge, bringing his military host to fight the enemies of God. That is what is going to establish peace in the world. Amen? Is that what the text says? Under the vine and under the fig tree, that is when the Prince of Peace comes and sits on His throne and brings peace. Man, that, how many of you are looking forward to that day? But how many of you could use some peace today? Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 17. What we've been looking at in Zechariah chapter 3 is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to come and establish on this earth. It's a real kingdom. It's a physical kingdom. And it's going to be a physical throne. It's not a spiritual reality. It's a physical reality. Amen? Jesus Christ is coming back bodily to this earth. And we are going to rule and reign with Him, the Bible says. Now, look at verse 17. For the kingdom of... Heaven. What's it say? Now, how many of you know that God and heaven are two different things? How many of you know that? Okay. We know that they're different because they're spelled with different letters. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God. Where is this kingdom of God? Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded, this is Jesus Christ is being asked questions by the Pharisees. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of heaven should come. Is that what it says? What's it say? The kingdom of God should come. How many of you know that God and heaven are different? Okay. When the kingdom of God should come, 
He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see the kingdom of God. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. So Jesus Christ, what we're looking at in Zechariah chapter 3 is the kingdom, the physical kingdom, where the king is on his throne in Jerusalem and he's ruling and reigning. That's when the peace will come to the entire world through Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful you don't have to wait until then to have peace with God? For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. You don't get that peace by taking communion. You don't take that. You don't get that peace by anything physical. It's a spiritual thing that happens when Jesus Christ establishes His kingdom within you. How does that happen? Well, Jesus Christ needs to be on a throne for that to happen. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Peace. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hebrews 1, verse 2, hath in these last days, does that have anything to do with Micah? Yeah. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, that's Jesus, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Who? Jesus, who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. And remember, He said, they said the, the disciples said, show us the Father. And He said, I've been with you so long and still you don't know. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He's the express image of the Father. Who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So where is he seated right now? He's seated at the throne of God. So we have not an high priest. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. What happens when we're able to come boldly to that throne of grace? We're able to have peace. Look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get that peace? By being justified by God. How, how are we justified by God? What does the word justified mean? It means declared righteous. He makes us just. We're righteous. How does that happen? By faith. We believe in Him. Because of the work that Jesus Christ did by dying on the cross, He purged our sins. That is, He washed them away. And we can be declared righteous so that we can now have peace with God. How does that happen? Look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the what? 
See, Lord is the one on the throne. Do you want to have peace in your life? Then let Jesus be Lord. How many of you, He's your Savior? He is your Lord, right? But how many of you would say that even as a believer, there are times in your life when you don't have peace? You have peace with God. You know that you're saved, but you have inner turmoil. How many of you would say that? Do you know why that happens? Because we're not acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Just real quick. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is greater than any problem you have? You really believe that? Then why do we have an inner turmoil? Because we forget that He's greater than any problem that we have. Is He your Lord? Amen. He, he is the, the most gracious, kind, giving Lord that we could ever even comprehend. What are we supposed to do? Casting all your care on Him, for He careth for you. Why do we have turmoil? Notice I'm saying we. Has anyone ever met me? There's lots of times when I have turmoil, stress, anxiety, anger, bitterness, resentment. And that's just marriage. No, that's a different. No. There's lots of times when I have all of those things. When do those things happen? When I'm not acknowledging in my walk Jesus as my Lord. How many of you would say, you know what? That might be me too. How many of you need peace today? Seriously. How many of you need peace today? Some of you might need peace with God. You're not saved. You need to be born again. Because, uh, remember, I, I told you I saw this sign. I was preaching in Deland, Florida, and there was this huge banner on the side of a church building that said, God's not mad at you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says we're all wicked. So unless you get saved and he's seeing the blood of Jesus Christ when he looks at you, then he's angry with you. If you're saved, he's not angry with you. That's awesome. He loves you. How many of you have ever been mad at your kids? Come on, Shauna, raise your hand. I've seen it. Right? How many of you ever been mad at your kids? Man, you still love them. You still love them. But what's interesting about God our Father is he's never angry with us because He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, when He looks at us. That ought to give us peace. Now, as long as we're in this world, we're going to have trouble. Is that what the Bible says? This world's just full of trouble. So we understand there's trouble, but Jesus Christ is greater than any of that trouble, casting all your care on Him, for He careth for you. What all of us need to do is we need to allow Jesus Christ to be on the throne of our lives. Do you know Jesus never makes a mistake? We make lots of them. So let's lean on Christ. Let's acknowledge Him as our Lord and Savior. We need to acknowledge Him as our Lord and Savior even after He is our Lord and Savior. Remember what Luther said. He said lots of bad stuff. This was a good thing he said. We must preach the gospel to ourselves lest we become discouraged. Isn't that a good thing? That's where the Bible in Ephesians 6 is telling us how to stand against the wiles of the devil. What does he say? Put on the helmet of salvation. Know what you believe about God and salvation. We need to allow Jesus to be Lord. We need to allow Jesus to be on the throne of our lives. And then we can have peace. I don't know about you guys. My life is full of, of anxiousness, anxiety, because of all decisions and all these things I have to make. I need to rest in Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus is on the throne, I can have peace. Let's finish it up with this. Let's finish it up. Philippians chapter 2. How many of you know where I'm going? Let's try Philippians 4. So you didn't know where I was going. (laughs) Philippians 4. Verse 6, be careful for nothing. So careful, full of care, right? So young people, next time your mom says, be careful, say that's unbiblical. No, no, don't say that. Be careful for nothing, but in, what's it say? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, does it, what's that next word? Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 7. Let's all stand together. Read verse 7 together out loud. Ready? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for giving us really the recipe for world peace, but personally and more importantly, you've given us the possibility for individual peace.